The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. One year milestone. Today marks one year since this show was launched. If you're enjoying PIs Declassified and topics about the amazing work of private investigators around the world, please send me a note at francie at PISdeclassified.com. And if you have a topic you believe you'd be interested in, send that to me also. Today's Blast from the Past question, the question is, who was the first private investigator to successfully have motion picture film introduced as trial evidence in the United States? I'll give you the answer at the end of the show. So today's show is really heart-rendering. It's entitled Cold Case, My Dad Was Murdered. Mort and Howard Custer were murdered, Custer were murdered in Tucson, Arizona in 1992, almost 20 years ago. They were the father and the uncle of my guest, Denise Savastano, a California licensed private investigator. And although Denise and law enforcement believe that they know who are responsible, no one has been brought to justice. And so if you're listening to this show and you have any information at all that could lead to clues to close this case, Denise really needs your help. Denise is here today to discuss the details of what she knows and and her journey to tackle this unique investigation involving members of her own family. Good morning, Denise. Good morning, Francie. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. This is so important. Let me just tell you all a little about Denise Savastano. She's the owner of LP Solutions and has been a licensed private investigator since 1983. Denise began her career as the co-owner and vice president of the Amherst Group Incorporated in 1984 with her husband, Nick, who was a well-known PI in California. Unfortunately, Nick passed away. And, and what year was that, Denise? Um, that was uh, 2008. 2008. That's what I was thinking. Uh, it was such a shock to all of us. Um, Denise holds licenses in California and Arizona. Born and raised in Southern California, Denise is a single mom of a teenage son. She specializes in corporate investigations, including embezzlement, fraud, sexual harassment, and employee theft. And she's actually known for revolutionizing the shopping services industries by developing a narrative-style report that identifies employee theft and attracts and attracted clients like Universal Studios and Host Marriott, Aramark, Warner Brothers, and even the Los Angeles County Zoo. And besides all of that, she 
she investigates domestic violence and sexual assault cases and speaks as an advocate against domestic violence. Denise's mission for herself and for her son is to solve her dad's murder. So, Denise, first, tell, tell us about your dad. Hmm. Well, my dad was, um, my dad was um, the salt of the earth. He really was. He was very, very family-orientated. And um, he, he was the type of person that cared deeply about other people. He would, um, he would give you the shirt off his back if, if uh, you needed it. Um, and most, most everybody you talked to um, thoroughly enjoyed my dad. He was, he was really a wonderful, wonderful guy. And then your Uncle Howard, mm-hmm. what about him? Uncle Howie was, um, he was a school teacher for 32 years and very, very loved by many, many people. Um, he was actually uh, living in Chicago at the time, had just recently retired, and um, he also was uh, very family-orientated. Uh, very, 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 they were like two peas in a pod, we used to say. They were very, very much alike, inseparable, most of the time, um, and um, they were both retired. And they were just three years apart. Your dad was 57 and your uncle was 60? That's correct. Yeah. That's- and I, your uncle taught uh, seventh grade science and photography, didn't he? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then your dad, um, he um, was involved in the Penny Saver and Tucson? Yes, um, he started out with the penny saver here in California and worked his way up through the uh, company and became extremely successful. He was one of their top salespeople. He had, that was his gift with sales. He was very, very good at sales. And then from there, he branched out on his own and started opening up different branches in Phoenix and Tucson, which they were called the Phoenix and Tucson Shoppers. I see. Um, okay. and, and so at the time... Both of them, uh, this happened to both of them, they were both murdered. Uh, they bu- had both retired. Your Uncle Howard had just retired, hadn't he? He had just retired, yes. And your your dad had retired from the the sales business, but became an investor of sorts. Yes, uh-huh. Yes, he, re- um, he was very successful. He uh, retired as, uh, as, a, as a millionaire. He was very wealthy, and um, he had taken that money and just uh, and used it as investments. Uh-huh. And, of course, you believe the motive to their murder was uh, the money. Absolutely was the money. Yeah, and we'll come back to that. So so um, your uncle, Howie, mm-hmm. traveled to Tucson to visit his brother, and then the two of them came out to see you in California, correct? Yes, they did. Uh, about two weeks prior to the murder, um, they came here to visit me, and we, we had a wonderful visit um, and it was the first time I'd actually gotten to see my Uncle Howie in quite some time because he did live in Chicago. And um, they were a lot of fun. The two of them together were just a blast. They're very, very funny guys. So, it sounds like it. And, and if I remember reading the article you sent me, Denise, mm-hmm. um, Howie's wife went to pick him up at the airport, mm-hmm. and he wasn't there. Yes, the, um, the day... Um, the day that they were murdered, which was probably very early in the morning from what we can tell, my uncle was due to fly out um, later on that evening and arrive in Chicago. And his family was there at the airport waiting for him. Of course, he didn't show up, um, so they called uh, the sheriff's department and asked for a well check. And they must have tried to call the house 
your dad's house. He did house try to call the house. That. And um, my dad, who was um, had an answering machine, pretty faithful uh, in keeping that on, it wasn't... Uh, it, there, it just the phone just rang and rang, so that was another concern of theirs because my dad always had the machine on. Okay, and that becomes key evidence later in the case. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and we'll come back to that too. Um, so this was August thirteenth, nineteen ninety two. Correct. So it's going to be exactly nineteen years in a few weeks. Uh, yes, yeah. it is. Wow. Yes. And so. Uh, Howie's family called the sheriff's department in mm-hmm. Pima County, Tucson. It's Pima County. Correct. And then what happened? Well, they went out to the house to do a welfare check, and um, they had found the uh, garage door was open, and they had entered uh, the house through uh, the garage door. There was a door that uh, led into the house. That was unlocked. And when he entered into it actually uh, enters into the kitchen, so as he went through the kitchen and, and proceeded to the living room, he had seen both my uncle and my dad on the couch, and they were they were murdered. They were dead. Okay. And each, from according to the, the autopsy, each was shot multiple times in the, on the same side of the head. Correct. Yeah. And you've read that autopsy report, haven't you? Uh, yes, I have. That's pretty pretty difficult. It was very difficult. It was extremely, extremely difficult. I remember reading it, and um, I I read it actually twice. I had to go through it twice. And I think the the thing that stuck out, aside from the fact that this was actually the first time, by the way, when I read the autopsy report, that I had actually any idea of what really happened because the police never told us exactly what happened in the very beginning. So when I was reading this, this was the first time that I really knew what happened to them. And this so, wasn't until 2009, just last uh, year That's right. That's absolutely right. And um, so, of course, I was learning that for the first time. And then um, after going through it the second time, I realized that a medical examiner had said that my, you know, went through, you know, the whole autopsy and so on and so forth. And my dad was in very excellent health, aside from the bullet holes in his head, mm-hmm. um, which leads me to believe that he would probably still be alive today because my grandmother lived to be 93, so. Wow. I probably would have had another 40 years with him. For sure, for sure. So so take me back um, to what you know about the time of the murder. They they found them. What, what happened then? You mean just prior to that happening? Uh, no, just w- how were you notified and what oh. happened after that? Um, I'd gotten a phone call that morning, and um, my brother had called and asked. He was really frantic and asked me if I knew um, if we had a cousin named Leslie. And I said, well, yes, that was Howard's daughter. And I said, well, I know, because that's what's going on. And he said, well, she's saying that um, the police are at Dad's house and that Dad and Howard have been murdered. And, And who is this call from? This, is, this call was from my brother, who was notified by one of Howard's daughters. Wow. And, of course, I, I don't know. I, I, that part of it is kind of a little uh, difficult for me to remember, because at that point is when I started to go into shock. But um, I told my brother to relax and that I would check into it and, and call him back. And, of course, I called my dad's uh, number, and the uh, sheriff's answered. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so... 
Um, so that was your brother's name is what? Dwayne. Dwayne, and you have another uh, sibling? No, it's just my brother and I. Just your brother and I, okay. And so the sheriff answered the phone, and what did you say? Well, of course, the first thing they wanted to know was who was I. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, of course. Right, and of course I explained and, to him. And how do you said, know anything? <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, I, you know, I explained who I was, and um, they did confirm that um, both were deceased and that they could not release any information at that time, um, and then gave me their um, superior's name and so on and so forth. What a shock. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I collapsed. I was, I was pretty much out of it after that. I'm sure that's true. And, and then how long was before you found any information at all about what happened? <laughs> um, oh, 2009. Really? Basically, yeah. Um, there were, there were, of course, it was an ongoing investigation. And, and, of course, everybody in the family is a suspect in the very beginning. And so they released a very little information. We knew that there was a gun involved. We did not know where they were shot. Um, we did not know exactly. Um, we knew that we were all suspects, but we didn't know who the immediate suspects were. We suspected that it was my stepmother because my dad and stepmother were going through a uh, divorce at the time. Let's stay right there, Denise, because I want to come back to that. Um, okay. This is a good time for a break. We'll be right back. That okay. was California private investigator Denise Savastano. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Denise Castano has been talking about her mission to solve her father and her uncle's murders in night from 1992. Uh, Denise, we were just talking about initially um, the first suspect. Of course, as as we all know, anytime there's a, a murder, the family members are immediately suspect. Yeah, and that was true in this case as well. Absolutely. And so the first person that was suspected was who? Was my stepmother because they were in the process of a divorce. Yeah, so that that would be an obvious place to go if if you were an investigative officer. That, yes, absolutely, and that was my first thought. Yeah, and that proved, of course, not to be true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And but there was some significant evidence because you mentioned earlier that uh, your your dad always had a, a recording machine on his telephone, mm-hmm. and he was very faithful about retrieving the messages and keeping that up to date. Yes, he was. So there was some piece of significant evidence that was found within mm-hmm. a few days. What was that? There was a, um, my dad had um, made an audio tape uh, recording of a transaction that took place. Um, and I'll, I'll read that. Um, the audio tape says, my name is uh, Mark Custer and today is July 9th of 1992 conversation that preceded this conversation was made on the 8th of July with uh, the suspect. Uh, we're not going gar- to mention names. That's correct. Okay. Who is guaranteeing a 25% interest less his three points, which means that I would get a 22% interest on my investment. He's guaranteeing this. Uh, he's guaranteeing this. I do have a personal note in the sum of 18300 from him payable on or before the 23rd of August 1992. He has signed it. He has just left the house, and it is approximately 6.15 in the evening. I withdrew $15,000 uh, um, by three cashier's checks, and he lists the banks and the branches. Um, and the account and, numbers. I'm, I'm sorry? And the account and the uh, Yes, and the account numbers. He was yeah. very thorough with that. And then at the end of it, um, he says uh, the tape is to be held in evidence in case an accident, in case I have an accident before the date of payback. Thank you. So that tape recording was found, and then um, there was also a phone conversation that was uh, included that said, 
this phone conversation was taken on my answering machine August 8th of 92. I gave him cash August 9th of 92, taken out of, out of a certain bank, and he just left at 6.15 in the evening with cash, and the reason for this message is if anything seems to have happened to me, there will be a record. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So that was made um, August 8th. Correct. So do they believe, Denise, that they were actually murdered on August 8th or August oh, no. 9th? Rather. No, th- no. It was um, they were uh, murdered on August thirteenth. August. They're sure it's, uh, it was August thirteenth. I know yes. that's when they found them. Right. No, they're they're very sure. They were they were. Um, it was definitely on the thirteenth. Okay. All right. So that led the sheriff's department on a trail of who they they believe, and you still believe that it was. Mm-hmm. Although we can't mention any names, uh, you do believe. You know who the suspect was. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the suspect and his wife were the last uh, known to, to be with my, my dad and uncle on the evening of the, um, the, evening of the 12th, I think. It, yeah, it would be the evening of the, of the 12th. Um, they had dinner together, and um, they had come back to the house after dinner, and they were, they were uh, with them and the last to, to be known to be with them. Mm-hmm. And in fact... Um, the police even interviewed this person, these people, and yes. they admitted that they were out to dinner with them and went to the house mm-hmm. and yes. uh, even described leaving the house and the garage door was still open, mm-hmm. which is what the, what the way the police found the house when they arrived with the garage door open. Exactly. Interesting. And, and this same person admitted... Borrowing money from your dad, a significant yes, amount, he, um, eighteen thousand. Yes, he, he definitely admitted it. And there was a, as my dad mentioned, there was a note um, that he insisted upon between the two of them. So when they found the audio tape, they found the note and um, the bank records in a booth that my dad had put everything in to hide it. So when the suspect was questioned about the note, because at that time, the suspect didn't know that they had a copy of the note. He produced a note that um, he said that looked as though my dad had signed it, but it wasn't dated. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and what did that note say? It looked it looked identical to the one that my dad had, with the exception of the fact that my, that one was supposedly signed by my dad, but not dated. Okay. Saying that it was paid in full. I see. So this man produced, or this couple, but it was the, the male part of the couple, uh, produced a note that said that he paid the money back in full. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody ever found any money, right? There was never any money found, no. Yeah. And, the, and it, was not paid, it was not paid back to the bank. Right. And they even checked your dad's bank account and went through all of that process, and there was no evidence of an $18,000 return of any kind. No, then not at all. Okay. Okay. And um, the interesting twist, I think, um, to this is wasn't the wife of this man that we're talking about your father's attorney? It was my father's divorce attorney, yes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And do you know where these people are now? Um, 
they've been since divorced, um, but they're both still living in uh, Tucson. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, let's let's go back to your dad uh, for a moment because uh, you shared with me, Denise, a really wonderful note that your dad wrote to you about a year before um, this horrible event. Do you think you could read it? You know, I was just sitting here looking at it, and to be perfectly honest with you, I just I don't think that I could get through the whole thing. So maybe you could read it on behalf for me. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Let's see if I can get through it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, it says, Dear Din Din. He calls you Din Din for... Yes, that was, that, was, that was... He was the only one allowed to do that, by the way. Okay, okay. It says, Dear Din Din, I, I put my pen in hand to write you a few excerpts of a poem that touched me as it... I think it will you. Our Father, who art in heaven, I am a father on earth. You have given me this gift and this responsibility. Grant me as well the wisdom and love to carry it out. My children have inherited a world filled with materialism and frantic activity of noise and confusion. They are surrounded by the reality of war and famine, apathy, and drugs. Help me to quick guide them through the storm. Grant that I may offer them a life of simplicity and calm of purpose and direction. Help me to nurture them and give them hope and to love them unconditionally. Grant me, dear God, the love it takes to see them suffer the consequences of these their actions and not run to their rescue, to love them enough to let them go whenever that time comes. Let me offer them roots and belongingness and the wings of freedom. Let my fatherhood be one of encouragement and support, not one of expectations and control. Let me protect them, but not too much. Advise them, but just a little. Let me be firm with them when necessary, without being dominating. Let me be sensitive to their feelings without trying to change them. Let me be there for them when they need me and to get out of their way when they don't. Help me to be a father on earth. Love, Dad. And he signs at P.S. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Nick, because Nick was still living at that point. That's correct. Thank you for letting me share that, Denise. It is uh, poignant and uh, tells exactly the kind of father you had. Uh, we were very close. I mean, he was my best friend. He was everything to me. He was, um, as you can see by this, you know, it's very emotional for me. But um, he was just—he was just a very wonderful guy. He—he um, he took care of his family. You know, his dad had uh, Parkinson's, and so for many years he took care of him. And after he passed on. He took care of my grandmother, and um, I think that says a lot about a person when they take care of their, um, you know, their parents the way that he did. Um, he, he he loved them very much, and he did the same with us. And, and he was just a, um, a very giving, very wonderful guy. Is is what reflects in this uh, poem, I believe. And even though your mom and dad had been uh, divorced for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, he still maintained his relationship with all of you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's always a sad thing when somebody's murdered, but it's it's particularly sad sad when it's somebody of a character like your dad, mm-hmm. and and your uncle as well. We can't forget your uncle Howard no. either, because no. um, he evidently, being a junior high school teacher, that says a lot about him as well. Sure. Well, 
Um, let's talk a little bit more about the situation um, that we found ourselves in with with the the case itself. Mm-hmm. So there were there was lots of evidence that they found. Mm-hmm. Um, Rounds, uh, one shell casing near the victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, four rounds were actually fired, but there was only one, uh, one shell casing found. Right. And it was a 22 caliber short casing. Yes. Which turns out to be fairly significant, as we'll see as we talk about this a little bit further. Mm-hmm. So the evidence was taken to an, an expert at the crime lab. And they examined the bullet fragments, the bullets, the expended short caliber cartridge casing. And he actually determined that it could have come from just uh, uh, very specific weapons. Mm-hmm. And those were uh, an Astra, a Colt, a high standard in 22 shorts, Colt, Omega, and Zedco Industries in a 22 long rifle. So it was... Um, that, and that was based on the grooves and the lands and the markings that are left on the, the bullets and the casings when they are expended from the, the weapon. Correct. So it's interesting how they can uh, determine that because, as we'll see as we talk further about this, the one man that we're referring to had experience with these weapons. Yes, he did. Okay. And Denise, do you know um, do you know why it was that your dad loaned this man money? You know, um, I, my my personal opinion is that this gentleman was was in a, uh, having a lot of financial problems. His wife was just starting her um, her attorney business, and. Um, you know, my dad didn't need the money, okay? My dad had a lot of money. He didn't, it wasn't like he had to do this, you know, this investment deal. I think that this gentleman, uh, I think what happened was during, um, you know, gathering of all the, uh, all of my dad's documents and so on and so forth, the attorney and her husband got to see how much my dad was worth. Because my dad was not one, even I didn't know how much my dad was worth. He didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that uh, that he bragged about or anything of that nature. So, um, so he, um, I think that they saw all this money, you know. And and this guy, that the suspect was very is a very very greedy person, as I found by talking to other people. And he found an opportunity. So I think he came to my dad with this idea, quote unquote, of a, a high interest loan. But I think he, he he approached him because he needed the money, and my dad wanted to help him. Well, and and he admits that he concocted a story. Yes, to get your did. dad to loan him money that really wasn't true at all. Yes, in in his uh, statement um, um, to the detectives, uh, he did say he lied to my dad about the about the uh, high interest loan that he had other ideas for the money. In fact, he actually had other deals in mind that he wanted to to tap into your father's wealth as well. Correct. Like something like buying and selling construction quick. Uh, equipment to give him a quick profit or buying antique cars from somebody. I, mean, I have my own ideas about that. I don't buy that either. You don't? No. Oh, interesting. Oh, that, those are things you don't want to share right now, though. No, no, I really I don't have a problem with it. This, this gentleman had a thing for guns, 
and um, you know, I had later found out that uh, he was a, he used to run guns. And okay, um, hang on, Denise. I, we want to talk about the guns, but we need to take a break. Okay. We're discussing the murders of Mort and Howard Custer. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. If Denise Savastano is with me today, she's a private investigator from California, licensed in California and Arizona, as a matter of fact. Uh, she's with me today talking about the murder of her father and her uncle and investigating the cold case since it happened in 
August 13, 1992, and here we are in 2011. Um, it evidently has been opened up by the Pima County Sheriff's Department in Arizona. Uh, however, it, no one's been brought to justice, and Denise is quite frustrated, right, Denise? Very frustrated. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, and hopefully, you know, people listening to this show, if you know anything about um, this at all, if you have any, even the least, slightest bit of information, uh, this happened on a street called North White Pearl in Tucson, August 13, 1992. Uh, Mort and Howard Custer. Mort Custer lived uh, in that home. And uh, so if, if you were there, if you were a neighbor, if you know anything about this, please contact me, Francie, at PISDeclassified.com or contact the investigator in charge of the case, Kelly Anderson, uh, Deputy Kelly, um, maybe it's probably Detective Kelly Anderson at the Pima County Sheriff's Department, Arizona. So the, the weapon issue that we t- were talking about, Denise, is really uh, becomes important because it turns out that this particular man that we unfortunately cannot say his name, mm-hmm. um, but he evidently was an expert in this type of 22 caliber handgun, Correct. including the high standard brand, Trophymatic. Um, several people were interviewed regarding the, who knew him personally, mm-hmm. and he evidently, um, from what I gather, is he was... Um, in something called the Phoenix Program during his tour of duty in Vietnam. That's correct. And uh, that program involved the assassination of communists, mm-hmm. and they used the 22 caliber suppressed weapons, interestingly enough. And it was reported that this particular man is also very knowledgeable about the kinds of stealth involved in sneaking up on somebody and killing them without and being aware that they're there. That's correct. So, you know, it's in reading, uh, and you very kindly provided me a copy of the search warrant and the uh, deputy's affidavit for the search warrant, which details a lot of what they discovered through their investigation. It's, mm-hmm. It seems um, interesting that nothing has happened on this case. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And and what and what involvement have you had, Denise? Well, I just I was just able to get copies of, of most of the files in 2009. So I've spent a great deal of time on it these last couple of years, interviewing witnesses and looking at reports and and so on and so forth. And um, unfortunately, you know, there were some. Um, you know, some of the investigation wasn't uh, wasn't up to par. They they dropped the ball in quite a few situations as far as getting certain items tested uh, and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, the uh, shell casing that you're speaking of, mm-hmm. um, it didn't get tested until I brought it up in 2009. Really, they had not been tested before. It had it had not been tested. Really. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of things uh, I had uh, after the, the you know. Going through this these last two years, I put together my own report of, of things very similar to that that weren't tested. Um, and 
and asking questions, you know, why, why these things were tested and so on and so forth. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have all the answers that, uh, um, that, I, that I want yet. Well, now, I know that during the search warrant that was executed, mm-hmm. um, they did look for firearms. Did they, and I, and I don't have any information that they recovered firearms. Do you know whether they did or not? They they did. They re- recovered um, that the firearm that they were particularly interested in, which is called a Ruger, uh, the Ruger twenty two. Um, they didn't serve that search warrant for a year after the murder. So the, so the search warrant wasn't served until nineteen ninety three, which is when they went into his property to to gather all this uh, in, all, all this uh, evidence. And do what you know why it took so long? I don't. I have not been able to get an answer to that question. But part of what they did get is they did uh, retrieve a silencer. At that address? At that address. And there was some evidence that this person had actually purchased the silencer because they talked to somebody who sold it to him. That's correct. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm, I'm astonished, actually. I didn't realize that it took so long because they had a suspect immediately. Mm-hmm. They did. They did. This, um, this, this, this gentleman is, um, there, there's, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence right now. Uh, there's not to say that, that we don't have any direct uh, physical um, evidence, you know, DNA match. I, I, I don't know that yet. I'm, we're still working on that. Mm-hmm. So they have the... They have the tape recording from your dad where he identifies the person. Correct. That if anything is, happens to him, that's mm-hmm. where they should look. They have the uh, 22 caliber and uh, s- several weapons identified. They have the, the guy that your dad identifies who has a military background in the Phoenix program, which... Uh, referred to operations carried out by special forces during Viet- the Vietnam era mm-hmm. and it included their training, included elimination of sentries in close quarters without arousing attention. Mm-hmm. And it often, according to the search warrant affidavit, that particular technique of the Phoenix program that they investigated often involves the use of suppressed 22 caliber weapons mm-hmm. because the sound because of the sound level is almost uh, nothing, right? And they're adaptable for training uh, for or rather for use with a suppressor that mm-hmm. he purchased, correct? And then they also found that he served in Vietnam. You know, they mm-hmm. proved that not only was he told that he told people he was involved in this Phoenix program, but they proved that he actually served in Vietnam uh, for approximately a year. That's correct. They were able to get his military record. Yeah. Aren't you just amazed that nothing more has, that nothing happened? I, I am. I, of course I am. Um, because looking at it, just looking at it, you say, wow, there's so much evidence here. And, and there is. It's, it's unfortunately right now it's all circumstantial evidence. It's not... Um, at least that's what they tell me. 
I, right. don't, I don't see it that way, but that's that's what I'm being told. Well, and of course, we know when something's under investigation, um, you know, they're not, certainly, they shouldn't tell us everything. Right. Because that might affect the investigation. But that's it absolutely. just seems, at least on the surface, it's um, compelling, at least, mm-hmm. that uh, they have a suspect, they have a motive, they have evidence that ties them together. Um, and particularly for you as a private investigator, and I as a private investigator, it, it just looks like it should have gone further than it has in, 20, in 19 years. And, and, and it should have, to be honest with you. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get any of the case files until 2009, um, when they finally figured out I wasn't a suspect any longer, I guess. And um, the detective that I was working with at the time, uh, Sergeant Faust, um, I had, it took a little bit of convincing. Um, of course, I reminded him that I was a private investigator, and he told me there was nobody working on the case because he didn't have the staff to work on it. Yeah, well, that's and that's a problem everywhere. I mean, Absolutely. It's worse, of course. All right, well, more to come in a minute with Denise Savastano and her um, compelling case of her murder of her father and her uncle. Be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. 
Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. Radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here today with uh, Denise Davistano, who is a private investigator from California, investigating the cold case of her father and her uncle's murder. But right now, before we get back to Denise, it's time for the answer to our blast from the past moment. So the question today, and this is thanks to PI Museum, www.pimuseum.com, who was the first private investigator to successfully have motion picture film introduced as trial evidence in the United States? Do you know the answer to that, Denise? (laughs) No, I'm afraid I don't. Yeah, well, it's somebody in your neighborhood, actually. Really? Yes, the first private investigator to successfully have motion picture film introduced as trial evidence in the United States in 1932. Sam Schneider, Sam A. Schneider, shocked court observers in Oakland, California, where my office is, Mm -hmm. at a personal injury trial when he introduced the first motion picture film admitted into evidence. And these pictures clearly showed that the man who was suing an insurance company for damages was capable of doing things he had previously alleged he couldn't do. And so I guess he was found that uh, he was wrong. So Sam Schneider was um, one of the founders of Crouton Schneider. Yes, he was. Mm. <laughs> in February 14, 1927, by J. Edward Crout and Sam A. Schneider. And at the time, uh, Denise, there were no professional investigation agencies as we know them today. At that time, detectives or so-called detectives were the tough guys who packed guns and hung around for some free lunch at a local saloon, and they collected debt when debt whenever somebody, I guess, needed knees broken or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, in 1932, uh, Sam Schneider was a photography buff with his own darkroom. And he secured his own commercial movie equipment and began uh, taking movies on cases. So, and just as an aside, uh, Sam Schneider was, in 1950, was the president of the California Association of Private Investigators, which was the precursor to the California Association of Licensed Investigators. Mm-hmm. And Kraut and Schneider still exists in, in, uh, Ontario, California, and employees that we both know include Eddie McLean, John Epic, Bill Weller, Race Mothers, George Rhodes, Eugene Ferraro, Sylvia Palma, Mark McLean, and a former California State Assembly member. So on this uh, one-year anniversary of my show, here's to Sam Snyder who paved the way for the rest of us. Yes, absolutely. 
It's kind of cool. Yep, yeah, very cool. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So thanks to PI Museum for that. And then back to um, your situation. Um, what what would you like to ask people that might be listening to this show for help? Just that if they have any information at all um, regarding this case or if there's any investigators out there that have any contacts maybe within the um, the uh, Tucson or, or Pima County area um, that think that they might be able to help move this case forward, I would I would so appreciate anything uh, that anybody could do. And and actually, um, you guys out there, guys and gals that are private invest- licensed private investigators, um, particularly in the Arizona area, but anywhere for that matter, and you want to help, I'm sure Denise would love for your assistance. And, um, you know, maybe there's someone out there that uh, has information that would be the breaking point for this case. That would be wonderful. That would be very wonderful. Wonderful. And, you know, the... We back to we were talking about the um, the wife of this man was your dad's a divorce attorney. Mm-hmm. Just a weird weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I see in the affidavit that uh, the judge issued an order suspending the attorney client privilege between yes. your dad and this attorney. That's correct. Yeah. So. Um, Hmm, I wonder if she'll talk now that she and her husband are divorced. Well, yeah, I'm working on that. Okay, well, good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're a good investigator, Denise. I'm, I'm sure you're going to make some headway here. Sure. Um, what else would be interesting for people to know about uh, the case other than uh, it took place at on North White Pearl Street in Tucson? Well, one, of the, one of the questions that I've gotten from several people were, you know, why, and of course, from my uncle's family was why was my uncle killed? Um, because it, you know, it it appears that this was uh, just my my dad was the intended target, which I believe he was. Uh-huh. Um, my uncle was meant was supposed to leave the next day to go back to Chicago. My feeling is that uh, my uncle was made probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I also believe that um, the suspect might have thought that uh, my uncle had information that could implicate him in this crime because um, my dad and uncle were extremely close. And or uh, he was trying to maybe throw the uh, sheriff off and um, make it not look like it was just intended for my dad. So, Denise, uh, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a note from our engineer here. Sorry to interrupt, but okay. um, they're saying you're cutting out a little bit and you, oh, okay. a little hard to hear. Oh, I don't, okay. I haven't changed anything already. Okay. So it's... We'll just keep talking. Go ahead. I didn't. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's all right. I just. Um, I was. I, should I repeat what I said? Or yeah, go ahead and repeat what you said. All right. I was saying that um, several people had asked me why they um, thought that my uncle was uh, killed along with my father, and I, um, I. I believe they was probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was meant to uh, return home the next day, but then I. I believe that maybe the suspect might have thought that. Uh, you know, that he might have had information that could implicate him. Well, your dad and your uncle were very close. They were three very years apart. And uh, uh, you believe that your dad probably shared any information he knew with your uncle. Absolutely. And probably this man thought so as well. Right. So I, I, I think it was either 
back or that, um, well, I, 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 I strongly believe that's probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, if anybody knows anything about the brutal murders of Mort and Howard Custer, August 13, 1992, in Tucson, Arizona, send me an email, Francie at com or Contact Kelly Anderson at the Pima County Sheriff's Department. So this is the end of our show. Um, Next week we'll be with Susan Carlson from Chicago, who will be talking about attorney-client privilege. So tune again to Real Stories from Real PIs. It's PIs Declassified. Francis Kaler, thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.